We are in week two of our Passion Week series, or as Nadia put it, Holy Week. This has, uh, in my heart, some, some very, uh, very important details that I want to share with you, as well as our team over these next few weeks. The Passion Week, as I mentioned uh, last Sunday, that eight days from the Sunday to the Sunday, from Palm Sunday to Resurrection Sunday, there is a significant amount of verses that are represented actually in the Gospels. In fact, one-third of the four Gospels, a third of the Gospels, is, is all about one week of Jesus' life. Did you know that? So, if you didn't, now you do. And that is why we are spending uh, some time over these four weeks to dive in uh, to the week that was. It's a holy week. It's a week full of passion. I started last Sunday talking about what that means, uh, what passion for God looks like, what worship towards our Jesus can look like today, leaning our thoughts, our hearts, our prayers towards those who are far from God. If you did not have a chance to listen and I'd encourage you to go do so. Today we are jumping in chronologically towards uh, moving forward in the week. Unfortunately, we don't have the weeks uh, leading up to Resurrection Sunday to go day by day, but we're going to go a couple days at a time. Uh, not an easy task, but something I think that we can do well through this Sunday, next Sunday, Good Friday, and of course, Easter Sunday as well. Today I'm landing on the Monday and the Tuesday of Passion Week. If you want, you can follow along in Scripture. Of course, there is much to say about these two days, specifically all of the Gospels in one form or another share story about these two days. There is a lot to unpack. We could do a whole season just on these Scriptures. In fact, there's around 200 Scriptures that represent these two days. We would be here till tomorrow morning uh, just reading them and unpacking them together. But I have in my heart some thoughts to pull from, little windows to grab, specifically in the book of Matthew. If you have your Bible, you can pull, pull that out and find uh, in Matthew chapter 21 a passage of Scripture that I really sense is an encouragement as well as something that I, I feel is for our house and for the body of Christ as a whole. This Monday and Tuesday, as I said, um, pull out some very specific uh, characteristics, uh, descriptive words, the ways of Jesus, and narrowed it down to three words that I think have very important meaning when it comes to describing the life of Christ. The first word is authority. The second word is assurance, and we close it off with the word of assignment. Authority, assurance, and assignment. Many of you are probably already thinking about who Jesus is and his character and how these specific words represent uh, his life, but I want to take us on a little journey for a few minutes today. Who's ready for some journey in the scriptures? Can, you, can I get an Amen. All right, thank you. Uh, it it's, feels good in here today. You guys are awake. I am tired, but I am fired up to preach right now. Let's talk this through uh, for a few minutes. Uh, Jesus, I'll give you a little context before we read this. Jesus 
has just come on this Monday to his wonderful scene in the temple. Y'all know about the temple and his, uh, his moment where he was not very pleased with what was going on in the temple walls. And if you know the context of this whole story, actually the day before, so on the Sunday night, he made his way to the temple after the whole uh, donkey experience and the palms and the, and the parade in the, in the streets. At some point that evening, he peeked his head into the temple. Did you know that? To look at what was going on. He observed all the action that they were, to, uh, that was taking place inside the temple, but said nothing. He looked in, kind of observed, and then left, and then him and his disciples uh, journeyed away for a little bit. And then the next day, he came back on the Monday into the temple and had a few things to, uh, to say and a few actions to represent to his displeasure of what was going on. Now, I don't have time to uh, spend on this specific story. There is much to glean, of course, from the posture of Christ in that moment. But scholars wrestle through this and debate as to the why behind the emotion we see from Jesus in this moment. Some, some have very strong opinions. Others uh, see it more of a kind of a figurative moment of, of explanation. And I believe all in all that many can agree that what the Lord was really anxious about in this moment, along with some other things, but one of the key things was the distraction that was going on in that place. And how, as I did a little bit of research and study on this, that um, the temple was very big. And these wonderful people had found a way, instead of walking around the temple to the, get to the other side, they started walking through the temple uh, and creating some havoc in there, and then everything started to conspire. And Jesus was just not having any of this. And he creates a motion that we will look at uh, in his reaction and response on the Tuesday that followed that Monday. And that's where we're going to uh, join this scripture together this morning in Matthew chapter 21, verse 23. Can we read this together? Jesus entered the temple courts, and while, so this is day three. So he went Sunday night, then Monday, and then this is the third day. He entered the temple courts again, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority, Jesus, are you doing these things? They asked, and who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from, Jesus said? Was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say it's from heaven, then he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say it's of human origin, we are afraid of the people, for they are Hold, for they, are, they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Our dear Jesus always answering a question with a question. These men, these religious leaders were angry. 
They were upset with what took place the day before. They were very bothered by the posture of Christ and his, his way of handling things. And they wanted to trap him in this moment, yet he brings such brilliance and wisdom to the scene and answers a question with a question. Let's continue in verse 27. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Because he is the authority. Jesus is and was the authority. He gives the authority, and there's no authority higher than our King of kings and Lord of lords who's with me today. There comes a time in our lives when we have to wrestle with this. And it's this moment of posture where he is making it very plain as to who he is and what he represents to this world. All of us, I'm sure, have taken time in our lives at some point to think about and consider who Jesus truly was and is today. And we have to ask that question about who is going to be the authority of our life yesterday, today, and continuing on in this journey of life. What I love about this window is these religious leaders are demanding answers. They're demanding response from Christ, but Jesus does not give them an answer. He responds, as I said, with another question. Why? Because he is the authority. And he is able to navigate things with perfection. And this goes on and on all through Tuesday. As if you read some of this passage of Scripture, where they continue to dialogue and he continues to bring truth with eloquence and simplicity. And he develops more frustration towards these religious leaders because his posture is so brilliant. And a religious spirit cannot handle how he took care of these moments. Remember, these men were the doubters. They're the downers. They were the, at times the fakers and the whiners that uh, represented the church. They tried to trap Jesus and even confuse him. But he just wouldn't give in. And when you look at Jesus in this very moment of time, you see a Savior that is so strong and so patient and so pure in the way that he handled controversy, in the way that he handled a moment where someone was trying to come against him. How could Jesus, I've asked myself, be so content and calm and patient in these moments when he's being challenged, misrepresented? There's so much confusion floating around in the air. How could he do this? Because he had all the authority. He is the authority. He actually starts unpacking the par parable after parable through these uh, scriptures that follow, desiring to give these leaders and others, uh, each of them, all of us, a window into their hearts. So he tried with compassion to turn these moments into teaching time for these leaders. Some received those that followed him, and others, of course, refused to listen to his words. And all these parables had a very simple message. We know the parables of Christ. They are beautifully articulated. But the simple message is this about his parables, is that I love you, I've come to you, and I've sent 
my prophets and messengers, and now I'm here to free you, but you would not accept me. I'm knocking and knocking, and here I am, and I've extended great invitation. The whole parable, even of the wedding feast that uh, Pastor Cody brought to, to us a few months ago, he, it, this, this, this idea of the love of Christ is articulated over and over and over again through these parables to, to a point was of such clarity that I am going to die for you and I'm inviting you and I'm calling each and every one of you to come on in, to come in and be a part of these moments. I'm waving you in to the kingdom of God. As I was thinking about this and just I'm very visual as a learner, as some of you are as well, and uh, it brought me to, to Abbotsford, B.C. Shout out to Abbotsford. Tyler, he's from Chilliwack. Anyone else from B.C. in this room? There's a few. Uh, thank you, Nadia. We got some representation. We were just in B.C. a couple weeks ago visiting family. And they live in, in the hills of Abbotsford, so Sumas Road. Some of you are familiar. And they live like, you know, you ever, you're driving on the, on the highway to, towards Vancouver? And there's all those houses on the side of the hill. And you're, I'm sure you've asked yourself, I wonder who lives way up there, like at the top. That's my mother and father-in-law, everyone. And uh, the views are, they're, they're priceless. It's incredible what they have. Uh, they face south, and it's fantastic. But you have to drive up these hills, and they live in the cul-de-sac at the very back of the cul-de-sac. And then picture this, their driveway is at the bottom of the cul-de-sac, and then you drive up. It's like a good 45-degree angle driveway that goes up to, um, to their garage, and then from the garage landing, there's another 30 steps to the front door. So imagine being the movers that went for into the house and then up to the second floor. It's like 60 feet from the, the, from the truck all the way up to their master bedroom. Those guys were tired. They asked for more money at the end of the day. So here's this picture. I'm just giving you a visual. So we're, I, I, I think about Jesus waving in the people, the haters, the lovers, the compassionate ones, the, the ones, the cheaters, all of them continue. And here's Jesus in this posture. And I see myself in our minivan, seven strong, driving to, in the cul-de-sac towards the house. And the, on top of the garage, they have a a little patio that, that overlooks everything. It's high up. And every time, no word of a lie, every time that we arrive at their house, mom and dad are on the patio waving us home like, like they don't know where we're going. Kind of like, this is it right here. Come on. They're so excited to see probably the kids, let's be honest. Um, but it's, it's this picture. Can you see it? And it's like they're just waving us, waving us in just like Jesus was doing his very best to wave people into his kingdom. Many responded, so many did not. I think about all of our lives and what the Lord has for us and why he desperately wants us to see this with compassion in an area that brings, for me, uh, a sense of, of, of real conviction knowing that each day, every single day that I live has the opportunity to make a difference in someone's life. 
every one of us has that opportunity to, to wave in those around us into his kingdom with, not with intensity per se, to, to bring overwhelming emotion in the moment, but an invitation into his courts. These teachings of Jesus are really summed up in these chapters where this invitation to all humanity to come on in. I'm inviting you. You can change. There can be freedom. I die, I'm about to die for you literally in just a few days, and I will always be here for you. He said it then, and he continues to say it today in 2022. He says, come, there is forgiveness, there is healing, there is a new beginning, and I'm waving you in to the family. That brings me so much joy, just thinking about that. But in these chapters, we see that, there would not, that they would not receive this invitation, many of them, these leaders. They couldn't get past themselves. They rejected Jesus. We don't need you. We are more obsessed with our territory with ourselves, with the truth that we believe to be what needs to be followed. We must earn our salvation. We must work our way towards God's kingdom. We all know that Jesus came to obliterate that thinking, yet many did not see it, even in those moments. At the end of the day, they were just stubborn souls, Splitting spiritual hairs, I believe that. That hasn't changed through the generations. It was then, and sadly we see it today as well. I have so many stories to, that I could bring to uh, the table this morning. One that uh, I'm reminded of is a, a colleague who shared about one of his Bible school experiences where he was in year two and uh, on his floor, there were some, how do you say, more mature students that uh, he shared this floor with where he lived. And the simplicity of his faith at the time during those years and the passion that he had to serve the poor and to give back to the community around him and to spend time with those that were less fortunate, that, that's what woke him up in the morning. Do y'all remember those days in our faith journey? I pray that that's alive today. If not, I pray that it comes alive again. But this is, what, this is what brought fulfillment. And he remembers one day when he was leaving to go help feed in this community where kids did not have any food for the weekend. They were fed through the week, but on the weekends, if it didn't come from the Bible school, from the church that was partnered, they didn't eat. And his passion for the moment was, I got to get there. It's 8 a.m. And he was stopped. This is a true story. He was stopped in the hallway from some of these more mature students. And they said, hey, where are you going? And he explained to them. And this was the response. Well, when you grow up, come down to this end of the hallway. We're going to spend the day, all day, debating and going into the deep things of God. Have, have fun serving. Now, it's so extreme, and I don't know if that's a verbatim quote, but essentially what was happening is, hey, 
while you go do that, we're going to go study scripture and become really smart in the deep things of God. Now, I'm not saying that that's a, a, a bad thing, but the posture in the moment where he felt small, he felt inadequate, he felt like he maybe was missing the moment. But it was in that specific weekend where as he was walking towards this community, a grandma from one of the homes came out of the house with six grandchildren, six of them. And he, over the course of the next few days, spent the entire time with these six kids, pouring into them, feeding them, praying with them, crying with them, supporting them. And he gave, um, he gave them everything that they couldn't do for themselves out of pocket, the compassion and the passion for a posture like Christ welled up inside him. It solidified in his heart, in that moment, what really matters. And yes, understanding scripture matters. And yes, studying the word and, and praying together and investing into the deep things of God has so much value. But if it replaces serving the poor, the widow, the orphan, the lost, the broken, the alien, then we're missing it, church. It needs to be a partnership, a holistic character of God that is revealed in and through our lives every single day. I love that story, and I'll never forget it. And he still today is serving in the church and says, I will never change my posture. This is what I live and die for. Why is it that self-righteous people complicate and clutter the message of Jesus? Church is not supposed to be a maze. Who's with me? Where someone says, this, this is awesome. I'm really enjoying this, but I don't know where I'm at. Because we complicate it sometimes. Or maybe I've heard this comment before. I love Christianity, but I'm so confused by the eloquence of the preaching. I just don't know exactly what's going on. Now, hear my heart on that. Simplicity has so much value. Yes, it does. Eloquence has value. Studying the scriptures has value. But if we're not creating an environment around here where anyone and everyone that could walk through this door and hear the message of the gospel and through that conversation or through that message or that sermon truly understand the life and um, character of Christ, then I believe we need to shift a little bit of how we do what we do. This is something to think about and consider. The message needs to be clear with a pure message of the gospel of Jesus. That's what I want to give my life to and will continue to do so. And then from here we head towards the next chapter in Matthew. Verse, or chapter 24 and 25, where we recognize his authority and everyone has now been silenced and now he's going to wrap things up and begins to talk to them about the end times. By the way, we are working on this. We're going to bring a series to all of you about revelations. It's coming. I don't know when yet. Um, who, who would like to, us to land in there for a little bit? I get some hands all across this room. It's important, and we're going to go there, I, I promise you. 
But he begins to talk about the end times here in Matthew chapter 24, where the disciples begin to hear these words and immediately begin to panic. How are we going to make it, Jesus? How are we going to handle all of this that you're talking about? What's going to happen? Anybody thinking about that these days? Some of us. Jesus tells his disciples, I, it's going to be okay. You see this comfort and authority and assurance that he gives them in these conversations. I want us to pick it up here in Matthew uh, chapter 23, verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those uh, sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What is Jesus saying here? He's simply saying, guys, I got this. You look to me. You are going to be okay. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you. That's my heart, and that's what I want to do for you and all of humanity. That is what he is saying in this passage. He then goes on here in chapter 4. He says in verse 1, chapter 24, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all of these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, Jesus, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed. Take heed, my boys. He begins with this authority, as we have talked about and gleaned on in these, pa in these passages. He gives them this, and then he gives them this assurance that no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. He follows it up with this fatherly protection for his followers. And then in verse 10, let's continue here. He says this of chapter 24. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all of the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. I don't know if you've read that lately, but there's a lot in this moment of Christ's conversation with his disciples how does he know this? Well, back to my first moment this morning as I declared that he knows this because he is the authority. Do you know that Jesus is the authority as well of the end times, of these final days? It's the one who is the authority that gives us the assurance that he's got this all figured out. Amen? In this verse, we find assurance for everything happening in the world even today. And I don't know if there is a greater verse uh, in Scripture when I look at what's going on 
around us right now that gives me more assurance about the world or about um, the world that we are living in today because it's factual. He gives certainties. There's absolutes, core assurances for our lives, for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. When you say, Pastor, what's going on? What about this end time age? What about Vladimir Putin? What about COVID? What about Canada's economy? We've had a few conversations about this over the months, and many of you have as well. What about, what about, what about? Well, church, there is an assurance. There is an authority. There is somebody in charge of this whole thing. And that's Jesus. And he gives us this incredible promise that he has the whole world in his hands. And everything is going to be okay. There is a beautiful assurance from his posture. Assurance is a word that has so much value. It brings peace. It brings kind of a a sense of take a deep breath. Okay. There's three things that I see from this passage specifically about assurance. These are so important for Christ followers right now. As as those who follow Jesus, we don't want to be confused. And we can't operate in fear. Did you hear me? If fear is a driving force for you in your decisions right now, may I submit this to you today. Give that emotion, give that thought, give that anxiety to Jesus. He does not want us to operate in fear. We don't need to live worried about the future. We need to live under the authority of Jesus and in the assurance of his word, of his scripture. When we take on this posture, I promise you there will be a peace that comes that surpasses all our understanding with this place, in this place. Three things about assurance. There's assurance of a victory. He says that there will be a victory. Keep your faith and you will be saved. It's not the smartest or the most spiritual that are going to make it into his kingdom, but those who endure will. The endurance, I believe, is not a feeling. Endurance is a decision. And I'm going to endure from this day forward in Jesus' name. And I pray the same for all of us. It's very cool as I looked, looked this word endurance up and did some study. It's actually, in the Greek, it means to grab something with your claws. To grab. So if somebody says, come here, Tim, right? Like, I'm, I'm bringing that table with me. That's how tight I'm holding on to this assurance it's an amazing word. It just that picture, put that picture in your mind of grabbing hold and not letting go of the promises of Jesus in our life. I'm enduring in my faith because I have an assurance that if I endure, I will be okay because I'm under the authority of Jesus. That's how these two work hand in hand together. Authority and assurance. Secondly, there's an assurance of mission. Simply put, we are on mission, and you know what that mission is. It's that the gospel 
needs to be preached and people need to be cared for and served with humility and grace. The gospel cannot and will not be silenced as much as we may see, maybe seen some of that happening in the, around the globe today. The gospel of Christ will remain forever. Amen? And we have access to it. And it is our responsibility and our joy to live this out with our countenance, with our words, with our conversation, our actions, our posture, to be and live out the character of Christ. Thirdly is the assurance of completion. You know what the completion is? Well, Jesus said it in that verse. The end will come. It will come. You're welcome. But it's okay when the end comes because God is in control. He's in this. He's got this. He knows the beginning from the end. He, he is caring for all of these details. And if he's the authority and we have assurance, then I wrap this up this morning with the simplicity of a word that is so important. And that is that all of us need to, for all of you TikTokers out there, need to understand the assignment. I thought I'd get a laugh there. Jesus understood the assignment. He understood it. And he spoke about it. He preached about it. He prayed about it. He modeled it with his posture, with his mindset, with the way that he handled the confusion of moments. Come on up. Thanks, Ethan. He created this incredible example of one who understood the assignment of the followers of Jesus, the followers of God. He ends with the story about our assignment. Make sure that you're about my assignment, he says. Find yourself in my work. Find yourself in my fields. Find yourself in my space. Find yourself in the assignment of God. I hope and pray today that you are encouraged yet challenged by this. We are not called to be in the stands, to be spectating and fault-finding with everything that we wish looked different or sounded different or was done differently. I mean, we all have our preferences and our convictions but I do believe in this season that we're in, there's an urgency to take some of that emotion and then instead of double downing on what you're frustrated about, why don't you take that energy and be a part of the solution? Because your angst that you feel, I believe, is put there by God. And then we have the opportunity to do two things with it either create more angst in our life and in others or be a part of the solution. We don't do everything right around these parts, let me tell you. But I believe God's calling you, some of you forth for such a time to be a part of the solution. To say, Pastor, I see a, a, a void here. Can I, 
help. Cody, I see this. I keep dreaming about these things. Do you think we could maybe implement some of these strategies into CLA? I promise you, nine times out of ten, he'll say yes. Maybe ten out of ten. <laughs> Is that generous? <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Cody's our associate here and leads with such authority. As so many of you do in your own lives, and I bring these thoughts to you because I, I, I do believe there's an urgency for the body of Christ to turn up the dial, as I mentioned last week in the AGM. It's time to turn it up with what we're doing, where we're investing, where we're serving of our lives, of our finance, of our investment here in Killarney, Glengarry, Marta area. There's much to be done, and we're going to accomplish it in Jesus' name. An assurance of completion of this assignment. Don't be in the stance. Be speculating and fault-finding. Don't be the critique or the onlooker. Be about my assignment, Jesus says. Matthew 25, as we continue in, in this chapter, as I close. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. Remember, this is the assignment. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and gave you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison or come to you. And the king, Jesus himself, will answer and he said to them, Assuredly I say to you, in as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, as King James Version says, you did it to me. That, that is a life, life verse. What is our assignment? To love the least. And Jesus said, how you treat the least is how you treat me. We are in and of the same. He's the authority. He gives us assurance. And therefore, you and I have the privilege of playing out the assignment. And God says, leave the rest up to me. I'll take care of the details. Isn't that a good feeling? We are not called to complicate things or to try to figure out what's happening in the Middle East or in Russia or down south in South America. Now God gives us assignments to go and we're obedient when he calls us. That's a beautiful thing. But if we're losing sleep over things we have no control over, may I encourage you today to find rest in the fact that he has this under control. Luke 21, and this is my close. And then, then they'll see the Son of Man welcomed in grand style. A glorious welcome, the message version says. When all this starts to happen, get up on your feet, stand tall with your head high, because help is on its way. 
And that is what I conclude with this morning. We are not alone. We are surrounded by the presence of God and each other. That helps too. Would we recognize Jesus' authority in our life? Would we be assured in our hearts that he is caring for all things, for our children, for our marriages, for our careers, for our finances, for our callings, for our dreams and visions. And with that confidence in his authority and the assurance of his plan, we would take on the assignment that is put forth to care for the least in our lives. Let's stand together, church. I want to pray for us. Next week is Wednesday, Thursday of Passion Week as we move towards Good Friday. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, all across this room, you are speaking to hearts. You are bringing revelation. Maybe it's nothing that I've said, but it's just you, Holy Spirit, coming and, and penetrating our, our, our souls. And you are bringing alive things that are, are dead inside us. You are reconstructing thought even in this moment a, re, a rebuilding of, of, of some brokenness that has entangled some Holy Spirit you do that because it's that, that's the promise it's your promise to come and to restore and I pray for all that are presented here today and everyone watching online right now or later today or this week, beyond, that each of us would see this through not an earthly lens, but through a supernatural, eternal lens of opportunity to be so present and so available and so uh, aware of ex exactly what is going on in our everyday and who you are desiring for us to, to be with and to care for and to be present in their times of need. Lord, would we not miss these moments? Jesus, I pray, I pray that our hearts would come alive in Jesus' name over these next two weeks leading up to Easter. Would you highlight those that need an invitation to the message of Jesus, the message of the resurrection of Christ on the Sunday of Easter so that we could fill this room with a representation of humanity. No one better than the next, just a broken people who desperately need you. Some of us have discovered that and we are eternally grateful and others have not experienced this love. Lord, would you move us towards opening up our lives with courage to take that risk, to open up these conversations with those that we love. 
I speak that over each and every one. The courage of your Holy Spirit would just land on all in the name of Jesus. I thank you for this day. I thank you for what you've done in each of our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen, church.